0: Parents' Rights Now, a production of Parents' Rights in Education, hosted by Suzanne Gallagher. We are committed to valuing students, empowering parents, and supporting communities to secure great educations for public school children in America. Pre welcomes all students, families, and community members who care about scholastic success for K-12 public school students. Our membership is diverse and inclusive. Visit our website, parentsrightsined.org, and like us on Facebook. Our chapters include Arizona, Alaska, Colorado, Idaho, Illinois, Montana, Ohio, Oregon, Texas, Washington, and Wisconsin. Join us by filling out the form on our website titled, Join Us. You will find information regarding issues and information about local and state chapters. Hey everybody, I'm back with part two of Transgender Craze, Seduction and Deception. Uh, Today is the 24th of March. It is a Thursday. Really great to be back with you guys because this Topic is so important. And I, I, wanna, I want you to understand the depth and breadth of what is going on here. As you may know, I've talked about this a number of times, Oregon is way ahead of so many other states. And when I'm talking about way ahead, I mean in, in the progressive uh, realm, we are ahead we passed mandatory K through 12 comprehensive sexuality education 13 years before it was passed in Illinois 6 years before it was passed in California and 10 or 11 years before it was passed in the state of Washington so when we talk about what's happening here in Oregon you may think oh well that that's not the way it is here. It isn't really happening here where I live in my small town. Well, that's not true. And the reason it's not is because these laws are being passed by state legislatures. And those laws are compelling your departments of ed- education in your state to implement gender identity, for example. It's part of comprehensive sexuality education. That's where the word comprehensive comes in. And they want to compel all students to make a decision about their sexual preference when they're very young. And in many states, it starts in kindergarten, which is what's going on in Illinois and what's going on in California and what's going on in Washington State and of course, Oregon. And we're way ahead of you guys. So we know what we're talking about. I want to get back to Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. It is so perfectly titled and even more more relevant and more true now than ever. This is what Abigail says about puberty. The girls weathering these changes have never been so young. The average age of monarchy or a woman's first period among American girls is now twelve, according to the Scientific American, down from the age fourteen a hundred years ago. The average age of breast development is now nine to ten years old. Puberty is also when today's transgender craze among girls typically takes hold. So If they are beginning to have breast development at 9 or 10, we're talking about fourth grade. Continuing on, girls feel alienated from a body pummeling them from the inside. The stress brought on by puberty is age old. What is new is today's adolescence relative inability to bear it and the constant presence of apparent alternatives. And then there is the mise of our quick-fix era, marked by the conviction that no one should ever endure any manner of discomfort. Ritalin for inattention, opioids for pain, Xanax for nerves, Lexapro for the blues, and testosterone. For female puberty. Okay, so I said earlier that we know laws passed by states requiring comprehensive sexuality education to be taught every year beginning in kindergarten are the driving force behind gender identity. For example, in Tiger Tualatin School District, I just received survey results from teachers who are anticipating teaching. K through five, comprehensive health. So they ask some questions. When should we ask students their pronouns? This is their answer. Gender identity and expression is introduced at the third grade level. However, we also recognize the intersectionality of the health curriculum and our district equity, social-emotional learning, and other bodies of work that push us toward inclusivity in every classroom. There is not a specific time that we recommend asking students their pronouns. And we encourage you to work with your building teams to establish this in ways that align with your current building culture. If a student asks to be identified by pronouns other than those which align with their sex assigned at birth, they're actually using that terminology, assigned, we must honor that request. Survey results also. Talk about what we should do when a student asks us to call them by a preferred name and or who identifies as a different gender than their sex assigned at birth. Uh, Using a pronoun such as he, she, them, etc. may not match sex assigned at birth. Student Services has given the following guidance, colon, civil rights guidance referred to on the Oregon.gov website this helpful document indicates that we must honor what a student requests to be identified as without parent permission. If we do not honor their identity and request within a classroom and school, we may face a civil rights discrimination claim and lawsuit. The expectation is that we honor the student's request at all times as we continue to sponsor safe, supportive, and inclusive school environment for all students. Next question. What happens if a parent disagrees with a student's transgender status? Schools are in a challenging position when a parent disagrees with a student's decision relating to their gender identity. The school must respect the right of the parents to raise their child, but must also protect the student at school and prevent discrimination and bullying. In TTSD, we honor the student's request and continue to work with the student to feel comfortable talking to their family. Health, including mental health, and safety of the student is a higher priority than staff informing the family about anything related to gender identity against the child's wishes. Let's get back to Schreier's book. When she claims adolescent girls are targeted, she backs it up with research. I want to highlight a portion of Chapter 2 of her book titled The Puzzle. In 2016, Lisa Littman, OBGYN-turned-public-health researcher and mother of two, was scrolling through social media when she noticed a statistical peculiarity. Several adolescents, most of them girls, from her small town in Rhode Island had come out as transgender, all from within the same friend group. Quote, with the first two announcements, I thought, wow. Well, that's great, Dr. Lippman said, a light New Jersey accent tweaking her vowels. Then came announcements three, four, five, and six. Dr. Lippman knew almost nothing about gender dysphoria. Her research interests had been confined to reproductive health, abortion stigma, and contraception but she knew enough to recognize that the numbers were much higher than extant. Prevalence data would have predicted. Quote, I studied epidemiology, and when you see the numbers that greatly exceed your expectations, it's worth it to look at what might be causing it. Maybe it's a difference of how you're counting. It could be a lot of things, but you know those were high numbers, unquote. In fact, they turned out to be unprecedented in America and across the Western world. Adolescents were reporting a sudden spike in gender dysphoria, the medical condition associated with social designation, quote, transgender, unquote. Between 2016 and 2017, the number of gender surgeries for natal females in the United States quadrupled with biological women suddenly accounting for, as we have seen, 70% of all gender surgeries. In 2018, the the UK reported a 4,400% rise over the previous decade in teenage girls seeking gender treatments, unquote. In Canada, Sweden, Finland, and the UK, clinicians and gender therapists began reporting a sudden and dramatic shift in the demographics of those presenting with gender dysphoria from predominantly preschool-age boys to predominantly adolescent girls. Dr. Lippman began preparing a study of her own, gathering data from parents of trans-identifying adolescents who had had no childhood history of gender dysphoria. The lack of childhood history was critical, as we have seen traditional gender dysphoria typically begins in early childhood. That was true, especially for a small number of natal girls who presented with it. Dr. Lipman wanted to know whether what she was seeing was a new variant on an old affliction or something else entirely. She assembled 256 detailed parent reports and analyzed the data. Her results astonished her. Two patterns stood out. First, the clear majority, 65% of the adolescent girls who had discovered transgender identity in adolescence, out of the blue, had done so after a period of prolonged social media immersion. Second, the prevalence of transgender identification within some girls' friend groups was more than 70 times the expected rate. Why? Dr. Littman knew that a spike in transgender identification among adolescent girls might be explained by one of several causes increased societal acceptance of LGBTQ members might have allowed teenagers who would have been reluctant to come out in earlier eras to do so today, for example. But this did not explain why transgender identification was sharply clustered in friend groups. Perhaps people with gender dysphoria naturally gravitated toward one another? Then again, the rates were so high, the age of onset had increased from preschool aged to adolescence, and the sex ratio had flipped. The atypical nature of this dysphoria occurring in adolescence with no childhood history of it nudged Dr. Littman toward a hypothesis everyone else had overlooked. Pure contagion. Littman gave this atypical expression of gender dysphoria a name. She called it rapid onset gender dysphoria or ROGD. At this point, you're asking, So what can we do about this, especially if you're a parent and your child is in, for example, a Tiger-Tualatin school, where she or he will be encouraged to use different pronouns in grade school without parent knowledge or consent. Child and Parental Rights Campaign Principle Bernadette Broyles, who is an attorney, the lead attorney with that organization, and we know her well. She is featured in a presentation on our website. I will put that link in the show notes. On March 23rd, 2022, she put out an email declaring success without even having to file a lawsuit. Listen to this. When the Clapp family called Child and Parental Rights Campaign, we thought we were in for a huge fight in federal court. After all, they live just outside the city of New York, where gender ideology is radically supported. Their daughter was being socially transitioned to a male identity by her public school over her parents' objections. This in spite of the fact that her therapist and a residential treatment center had insisted that it would be harmful to the young girl's mental health. In preparation for a federal lawsuit, we sent a letter to school officials demanding that they honor the parents' wishes and the medical opinion of the professionals who were working with the CLAP's daughter. In order to strengthen their position we helped the parents retain a renowned psychiatrist to begin working with their daughter, and she too submitted her medical opinion that it was in the child's best interest to not endorse their daughter's desire to be treated as if she were a boy by school officials. To the parents' great relief, the school officials caved and agreed to follow the parents' directions and the medical opinions Of the medical professionals. This happened in New York State. You might wonder what fuels our resolve to fight this irrational ideology. It is emails like the one we receive from Mr. and Mrs. Clapp after we help them protect their daughter. Quote, we can never adequately express the depth of our gratitude for your tireless work in restoring our parental rights to protect our daughter at school nor can we ever adequately repay you for your grit, dedication, expertise, and manpower. To have a legal team of your caliber paying such scrupulous attention to our small case, and without nearly the monetary compensation you deserve, is astounding. We are still pinching ourselves that this went our way without going to court, and in New York State no less. This is a testament to your collective efforts, know-how, persistence, and passion for this cause. We will be able to sleep at night knowing that with your help, we've done everything in our power to safeguard our daughter from harmful people and practices. We are so proud to partner with Child and Parental Rights Campaign. Contact them. They are featured on our partner's page on our website. This is Parents' Rights Now. Please check your show notes for links pertinent to this podcast. Oh, and one last thing. It would be so, so great if you could help us out financially as well. You know, we have ongoing expenses every month and we're growing, growing like crazy. And uh, we do give assistance to all of our chapters. They can uh, ask people in their various states to contribute. So you might want to consider that if there is a chapter in your state, uh, you can indicate that you prefer for the money to go directly to the state and pre keeps 20% of that and 80% goes to the chapters to help them with their expenses for printing, etc. A lot of them are putting on events and we encourage them to do that. And so this helps them to grow and to take action And um, anyway, just go to the donate page on our website, parentsrightsined.org. Thanks much.